And uh, we have been working our way through this, this book, 1 Corinthians, over the last few months. And as we've said so many times before, that Paul had started this church some eight to ten years before uh, actually uh, writing this letter back to the church. Now, uh, just a little bit of background if you're new or just because we haven't done it in a couple of, couple of weeks, but Corinth is a town in Greece. Let me just throw a picture up there real quick. And uh, if, if you see at the top, it says Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and then you work your way down to Athens, and then you come to Corinth. Now, you can find the story. This is Paul's missionary journey. That's in Acts chapter 16 and 17. But then he comes to Corinth in Acts chapter 18. So it just kind of follows his missionary journey on down. This is a very pagan town. It's a Greek town. It's not Jewish. This is certainly not Jerusalem. So they are into all types of pagan worship. The main god in, in this town of Corinth was the god of Aphrodite. Now, Aphrodite was the, the female god of uh, sex and love. And uh, the way that, that uh, people worshipped this god is every night from the temple of Aphrodite, there were a thousand what they called temple prostitutes who would go down into the city and then they would sell themselves and then that money would come back to the temple and kept, kept things going. We're just going to keep um, offering boxes in the back. But, but that's how they <laughs> raised money and it was fairly effective. So Paul arrives at this town. He sees what's going on. They're very pagan. They don't have a Jewish or or Bible background. And he starts a Bible study. And from that Bible study, he begins to teach from the Old Testament and it begins to grow. People become believers and the church goes from a, a small Jewish fellowship to a much larger Gentile church. And there in your outline, I put a verse from Acts chapter 18, and it says that he settled there a year and six months, and then if with your pen in hand, just by way of reminder, teaching the word of God among them. One of the things that we find about Paul is that, that his emphasis in church was always teaching the word of God. It was a teaching emphasis. When it says the word of God, he would be teaching from the Hebrew scriptures. You and I would call that the Old Testament. So Paul comes to a pagan town and begins to teach them the Hebrew scriptures. A church is birthed and it continues to grow. So after 18 months, Paul decides to continue on his missionary journey, and so he hands the church off to another pastor who takes it from there. And they've gone through a couple of pastors over the the next few years, and as the church continues to go on, they realize that something's not right. So the leadership gathers together, and they decide to write a letter to find the Apostle Paul, and they send a delegation to find Paul, and they give him this list of questions. Are we doing it right? How, How should we handle these situations? Paul sits down to write the letter back to them. We have that. We call that 1 Corinthians. So he answers their questions, and he deals with some of the problems that he hears going on in the church. Now, as we saw in our last study in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul kind of pauses in the middle of this, and and, um, he uses an illustration that comes from the Old Testament, specifically the first five books of the Old Testament, and he refers to to the nation of Israel when they were enslaved there in Egypt, and how they cried out to God, God saved them, he brings them out, they're baptized, and then they begin to follow him. And uh, I'm going to just go through verses 1 through 4 real quick, and then we'll pick up our study as we, as we travel through. So verse 1, Paul's writing, remember, to a very, very Gentile church. They don't have a, a strong Old Testament. They're not Jewish. And he says, for I, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, you, know, you can't miss this, he says, that our, our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. It's interesting, although they are a Gentile church, he says, our fathers, the idea, our roots come from somewhere. 
And uh, then in verse 2, he says, and we're all baptized into Moses in the cloud and into the sea. So, so once they were saved, and we talked about that last time, they are then baptized, and then they begin to, to follow God as he leads them into the, the wilderness and ultimately to the promised land. Verse 4, it says, and they all drank the same spirit. I'm sorry, verse 3, he says, and they all ate the same spiritual food. And we talked about that, how every day God provided manna while his people were in the wilderness those 40 years. And and the the manna was a picture of God's word. And we'll talk about that in a few moments. Verse 4, it says, And they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. And we talked about that in in our last study. But these events happened to them But although they happened to them in the Old Testament, they were really a picture of something that was to come. It was a picture of how we are saved. And so we went through that last time. And if you weren't here, I want to really encourage you to get the CD or watch that online because it'll give you a a paradigm or an understanding of how it is that we become believers and the process that God uses. So um, Paul says in verse 1, he says to this Gentile church, he says, I do not want you to be unaware. This, this is important. He says, you know, that, you were, that, that God's people were slaves in, in Egypt, just like you were slaves in sin. And uh, God saved them, just like God saved you. And then once God saved them, they were baptized, just like you. Once you're saved, you're baptized. And uh, that begins this incredible journey. Now, that was the good news. He gives the plan of salvation in the first four verses. But in verse 5, you notice he says, He says, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. When it says that he was not pleased with most of them, it's kind of an understatement. Out of all of the the adults in Israel, only two of them actually make it into the promised land. They they were saved, they were baptized, and uh, they were on the journey. But along the way, they began to do some things that didn't make them unsaved, but it kept them from entering into the promised land. That is everything that God had for them in this life. In the Bible, the promised land, the promised land is not a picture of heaven, as some would portray it. The, the promised land is the picture of what God wants to do in our, in our lives in, in this life. And the reason for that is that as a picture, when you go into the promised land, there's still challenges, there's still battles, there's all types of obstacles, and that continues. That's not a picture of heaven. That's a picture of what it is that God wants to do in, in this life. So Paul uses the Exodus, that coming out of Egypt, as an example for the Corinthian church. So Paul says again in verse 1, he says, I don't want you to be unaware, this is how it happened. Verse 5, most did not enter into all that God had for them. Uh, Now, it didn't mean that they were unsaved. It just means that when they died in the wilderness, they went to heaven, but they never entered into all that God had for them. And then he says in verse 6, he says, and it's important to underline if you haven't, he says, now these things happened as examples for us. These things happened to them, the Old Testament believers, but they were really an example for you and I who are New Testament believers, Christians, we would say. And then verse 11, it says, if you skip down to verse 11, it says, now these things happened to them as an example, and I want you to underline that word example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So it happened to them but it was an example for us. It happened to them and it was written down so that you and I might learn from it. There on your outline, I've placed that verse from another translation and it says, now these things happen to them as a warning. Does everybody see that? 
Okay, you want to underline warning. But they were written down for our instruction. Now, I love this because Paul says, you know, you Corinthians, and, and certainly here at Calvary and for the rest of the church world, these are the same things, these things that kept them out of entering into all that God had for them, the promised land, are the very same things that will keep you and I from entering in to all that God has for us. And so these are warnings. So we've called this warnings from the wilderness. So Paul lays out this list of things. There's going to be five things that in the Old Testament they did, five things in Corinth that they were doing, and certainly in the church today, that keep us from entering into all that God has for us. It's important as we get into this that to, to realize that as Paul lays these things out, they're not in chronological order, like this happened, then this happened, then this happened, but they do appear chronologically in our lives. So it's kind of like if you do this, then the next thing that's going to happen in your life is you're probably going to do that. And then if you accept this, then you're going to go to the next step, and it's going to go here, here, and here. So uh, be sensitive to that as we get into this today. Also, let me say that uh, I'm not sure that we're going to get through all of these today. Um, as I was uh, just continuing to study, there were all of these things where you know, I wrestle each week with what do you leave in and what do you leave out? And uh, then I send my outline in and then I realize, well, I can't leave that out. So I keep adding to it. So if we get through one verse, we'll be, we'll be good today. I'm hoping that we get through two verses. And if not, um, the outline's not going to be completely finished. Uh, you're all going to have to deal with some unfinished business in your life, but, but we'll come back to it in the, in the following study. Okay. Good. Lots of affirmation this morning, please. (laughs) Great. Okay. So what kept them from entering into all that God had for them, the promised land, you might say, all that God had for him? What would would keep them that he would so want to warn us from? Well, from last time, I want you to go back to verse 3. They were saved, they were baptized, and in verse 3 it says they all ate the same spiritual food. Now we know that that food, it was physical food, but he says it was spiritual food because it's a picture of something. It was manna. And uh, there on your outline, uh, I've, I've put at the very top, it says, to keep them strong and healthy for the journey, God gave his people manna, which is a picture of, who remembers? God's word. Go ahead and write that down. It's the picture of God's word. Now, I could give you a number of different verses. I'll just give you one to, to highlight uh, what this means. But every day God provided manna. Moses said this on your outline. He said, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known. Now, here's why, and you want to underline this, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So we know that they were eating manna. It was physical. Paul tells us in verse 3, they all ate the same spiritual food. Moses tells us that the manna was a picture of what comes out of the mouth of God. It was God's word. So manna is a picture of God's word. So far, so good? And from our last study, we saw that manna was 100% complete. Uh, It was completely nutritious, and God provided it every single day. One of the other things that that, uh, we failed to mention last time, or maybe we did, but but manna tasted great. As a matter of fact, there in your outline, it says the house of Israel named it manna. Manna is just the Hebrew word, by the way, for what is it? What is it? So uh, they would would say, what is it? God called it bread. So God didn't call it manna. Uh, They did. The house of Israel named it manna. And its taste was like the wafers with honey. Wafers with honey. Tasted like a donut. That's what it tasted like. Isn't that glorious? 
and it was 100% nutritious. And the great thing about man is you gathered it every morning, you could season it, you could eat it raw, you could cook it, and it would be like a sweet bread, and sometimes they would season it to make it different ways. Now, the way that God delivered the manna to his people, there in your outline, this is going to be important for our study, when the dew fell, and I want you to underline on the camp, on the camp, very important for our study, on the camp, uh, the manna would fall with it. So, So manna would fall down every morning, which is, again, as a picture of God's word, it's something that you need every single day. You couldn't gather it up for a week or two or three days, which is why we tell you, you want to be in God's word every single day to get that, we would say, manna every day fresh from, from him. So, so it came every single day. And then you notice it says on the camp. Now that's important because you had to go outside of your tent to gather it, but you didn't have to go search for it. It was right there. It was right where God's people was. It was right where God's presence was. It was right there. Now that's going to be important for our study in just a few moments, but I want you to remember it fell on the camp. So verse 6, he goes on, he says, so, so these things happen as examples for us. And then he says, so here's the first thing, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. However your Bible says it, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. So you say, what, what, what evil things were they craving? What's it talking about? Well, if you have a study Bible, all study Bibles will do this. For me, mine is in the margins on the side. How many of you have a study Bible where you have verses on the outside? Okay. If you go to verse 6, you're all going to have Numbers 11. How many of you have Numbers 11 written down there somewhere? Yes, yes? Yes, I see that hand. Are there, is there another? Yes. All across the auditorium, hands are going up. Thousands of hands. All right. So now, now why is that important? That's important because... Everybody agrees this is what he's talking about. So all of your study Bibles point back to this one event, this one event. And it was the first thing uh, that, that Paul says will trip you and I up as believers and keep us from entering into the promised land. They began to crave evil things. Now I'm going to give you today what's going to be described as the Reader's Digest version. There's so much more. We just don't have time to go into all of it today. But in Numbers 11, and I put a couple of verses there on your, on your outline, God's people are in the wilderness, they're saved, they're baptized, they're traveling with him, and God is providing manna for them every single day. Manna is a picture of God's word. Good, good, good. Well, over time, something began to happen. There in your outline, the first verse, it says, the rabble, and you want to underline that word rabble. If you look that up, some of your translations might say mixed multitude. Rabble here is a better, better translation. The rabble with them began to crave other food. You want to underline that. So here's what they're saying. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. And you have to read it just like that. <laughs> it just makes no sense if you read it the other way. So first of all, we know that it's the rabble and God apparently doesn't think very much of this group of people, and they want something else. They're craving other food. So if you look at a a commentary, for instance, Guzik's commentary would say the idea is that they came to the place where they said, manna really isn't exciting enough for us. We want something else. We want something other. And hopefully you underline that word other. 
And so you'll hear uh, pastors, comment, you know, commentators, and they'll joke, and they'll say, they were saying things like, you know, they were sick of manna. They'd had manna cotti, manana burgers, manana nut bread, you know, just on and on, manna, manna, manna. And they wanted something else. And the rabble said, this is all we ever get. Well, that wasn't completely true. That wasn't completely true because as you read the story, what you find is that when Israel comes out of Egypt, they're blessed with flocks and herds, and those things are multiplying under the blessing of God. And so they would eat from their flocks and their herds. So, so manna was the staple, but they had other food. They had other food. And uh, not only that, but, but from time to time they would go hunting, and so they, they could do that. So God provided manna every single day for them, but if they wanted something in addition to that, they had it there, it was readily available. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it wasn't that they wanted something, um, something in the sense that we're just sick of only eating manna because they had other things. The idea is they wanted something other that is something that God is not providing and uh, something that they thought would be more exciting. How many of you never uh, heard that they were able to actually eat from their, their herds or flocks or, or go hunting? Yeah, so they, they were able to do that. And that's, that's, that's all, all through that. We, we, many times we, we miss that. So they demand to have something else. So God finally says, okay, if, if that's what you want, you, know, you want other, he says, all right, well, well, we'll have at it. Now, it's not on your outline, but if you read that chapter, Numbers 11, what you'll find is God says, I'm going to give you something other if you really want it, and, what you're, and you can eat it for 30 days, but I want to tell you something about this other that you're going to get, which is a picture, and it's written for our instruction. It's going to make you sick. You're literally, it's going to be coming out your nose, the idea they're going to be vomiting. Uh, but just You get the picture. If you have kids, you've seen it. So anyways, the, the idea, out the nose sort of thing. So that's the idea. So, um, so here, here, here's what happens there in your outline. He says, so there, there went forth a wind from the Lord, and it brought up quail from the sea, and let them fall. And I want you to notice that it says, beside the camp. Does everybody see that? You want to underline that? Beside the camp, about a day's journey this side, and a day's journey on the other side, maybe 15, 20 miles. And then I want you to underline all around the camp, all around the camp about two cubits deep on the surface of the ground. Dif- different translations will say that it was two feet, th- uh, two, two cubits on the ground. Other translations would say that it was two cubits from the ground, the idea that you could go out and you could literally scoop them with a net. And so either, either way, it was, it, was, it was thick. So I, I wanted to highlight today that the other that they wanted that blew in was outside the camp. What God was delivering was right on the camp, but this other they wanted was outside the camp. Now, let me just show you how this works. I want to put a picture up today. And um, if you were to go to say, and you might even want to write this down, but in Numbers chapters 2 and 3, God had determined how the tribes of Israel would, would follow him in, in the wilderness. And so he lays out the numbers. When you put the numbers together into the south, the west, the north, and all of that, when you put those numbers together, what you find is that those numbers, those tribes, they create the picture of a cross there in the wilderness. And uh, at the very, very center would be the tribe of Levi, and there would be the tabernacle of God. That is the, the dwelling place of God. So as you're flying over uh, the desert there 4,000 years ago in your UFO, you'd look down and you'd see several million people, but they were all camped in the, in the shape of a cross. Do you find that interesting? 
Okay, so, so why, why is that so important? Well, it's important because when God provided man, he put it on the camp. It was right there. And God was in the center. When they wanted other, it meant that they weren't going towards the center, towards God, or right there what God had provided. They had to go outside of what God was doing, literally a day's journey at times. They could go a day's journey, so 10, 15 miles. The, the direction that they were going was not towards the Lord. It was away from the Lord. Again, there's much, much more that we could say about that. So God is providing, but they want something other, the other that they want is something you have to leave the direction of where God is and go in another direction outside the camp. Now, if you read the story in Numbers 11, you'll find that it says that they're going to be eating this for 30 days. So as they're taking the quail, it begins to rot, and there's uh, lots of conjecture about how this goes. But um, there in your outline, it says, but while the meat was still between their teeth, and again, they've been eating it for, for some time, it says, and underline, and before it could be consumed. So sometime during that 30 days, the anger of the Lord burned against the people, and he struck them with a severe plague. I want you to severe plague. Therefore, the place was named Kibroth, and whatever that word is there, I won't pronounce it, but in Hebrew, it means the graves of the craving. Because there they buried the people who had, and I want you to underline, craved other food. Again, there, there's lots of conjecture here, but they've been eating this food for 30 days and it's beginning to rot. It's making them sick and literally it's coming out of their, their nose. And I won't uh, develop that any further than just saying that. But what they had done is they had walked away from manna, which is a picture of God's word, and they walked in another direction to get something that they thought would be satisfying. God's word, manna, was always, uh, it, was, it was 100% nourishing. It made them healthy. In, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians, we're told that it's spiritual food. They wanted something completely other than that. And so they had to go outside the camp to get it, but it brought a plague in their life. 500 years after that, David, as he's writing the Psalms, he will write about that. He will say this, there in your outline, He says, they soon forgot his works, what he was doing, and they waited not for his counsel. They didn't say, Lord, you know, what do you want to do? But they lusted exceedingly, underline that, in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert, and he gave them their request, but it sent leanness into their soul, underline that, sent leanness into their soul. So one of the things that we've said is to keep them healthy on the journey, God gave his people manna, which is a picture of God's word. But instead, you want to write this down, they lusted for something other. They lusted for something other. David says they didn't seek God's counsel, uh, but demanded it from him. They lusted exceedingly. Now, now it's not wrong to desire something, but lust is, is typically a God-given desire that's being uh, somebody desires to be fulfilled outside of the way that God would do it. And so, it, so God finally says, okay, if that's what you want, you, you can have it. But here's what it did. It brought a plague among the people. And Paul tells us this was written as a warning. It was written as an example to make sure that we don't do the same thing. So far, so good? So, so Paul says, this is important. Paul Paul says this is important as he writes to the Corinthians because when Paul went to Corinth, the main thing that he did was he taught them the word of God. That's why these formerly pagan believers have a full understanding of Numbers 11. That's what Paul taught them. 
They remember Paul teaching that. So for them, they're like, oh, exactly. I, I fully get it. Now they had left, they had left what God was doing. And as you look at the Corinthian church, you find that it's a mess. It's just a plague. And so some of the things that we've done is they've left that and Paul begins to address the problems. It was back in chapter one as they're looking at what's the problem. Maybe the answer is, and it says the philosophers and the debaters, they were bringing in the the PhDs and the experts looking for the answer to fix what's going on in the church, the, the problem in the church. And then it was in chapter 2, Paul has to deal with the whole issue since they've walked away from the, the simple, straightforward teaching of God's Word. He's, he's having to deal with the issue that now they're chasing down what we would probably call the rock star pastors and you know, looking for that very, very flashy leader. In chapter 3, Paul tells them that your spiritual diet's a wreck and you're not even growing spiritually anymore, and we dealt with that. And by the time we get to chapter 12, what we're going to find is in their church services, it's just mayhem to the point where Paul's literally going to say, if a non-believer comes to your church, they're going to think that you are mad. You've lost your mind. And we'll, we'll discover that when we get there. So all of these things, all of these things were bringing a plague into the church. And I think it's a, it's a great reminder for the Corinthian church, but it's also a great reminder for our church, and it's a great reminder for, for the, church, the church, at law, uh, uh, church at large. They were still saved, they were still baptized, and God is still providing manna, but it's bring, what they're doing is bringing a plague in the church. And again, it, it didn't cause them to lose their salvation, but by doing that, it kept them out of everything that God wanted to do, out of the, the promised land. Does that make sense so far? Okay. Did you find that interesting? Yes. So I can do that in the second service? Yes. You guys know you're the experiment, right? So sometimes we just, I just go home, we call it a guest speaker. So, uh, all right, so that's good. So Paul says to them, to this Corinthian church, he says, I'm telling you this because this is what's happening in your church. This is what's happening in church, your church, and it's bringing, it's bringing a plague. So these things are a warning. So what happens? What happens when you step away from manna, when you step away from the word of God in your church? Well, what we're going to find in, uh, we're going to find in um, uh, verse 7, the next thing that happens, verse 7, it says, do not be idolaters. And I want you to underline that word, idolater. As some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and stood up to play. So, so Paul says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you, church, and, and you've walked away from the manna. You're into all these strange things. And uh, the next thing that I see, and he, and he refers to this event of idolatry, and he says, where the people sat down to eat, to drink, and rose up to play. So what in the world is that talking about? Well, if you have a, a study Bible, you'll go to verse 7, and you'll see that it's going to point you right to Exodus 32. Does your Bible point you to Exodus 32? Every Bible agrees. It's, it's all the same thing. As a matter of fact, it's going to be a direct quote that people sat down and rose up to play. Since they had walked away from the word, the manna, the next thing that happens is that they become idolaters when they created, you want to write this down, their own concept of God. They created their own concept of God. So here's the story. Moses is called to go up on the, you know, that God's people are following him. They're out in the wilderness. And again, these are not in chronological order, but Paul sees these. These are the ways that it happens in our life. We walk away from manna, then the next thing that happens is we create uh, our own image of God. So, so Moses is leading the people, but God calls Moses to go up on the mountain to spend 40 days with him. He doesn't tell him it's 40 days. He just finds out kind of after the fact. 
So while he's away, the people become impatient. And so as the people become impatient, they begin to rationalize and they say, we need something that would be a physical manifestation of the God that we serve. Something that we could look at and say, okay, that's, that's God. Because you know, God's up on the mountain right now. Moses is up on the mountain right now. And uh, so, so they think that they, they need something that will represent God. So again, this is the, the Reader's Digest version. You need to go home and read this because it's, it's, it's a wonderful, fascinating story. So what do they do? Well, they decide to make uh, a representation of God. And you know the story, they made a cow. So here's how it goes there in your outline. It says, they made it into a molten calf. And they said, with your pen in hand, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now, when Aaron saw this, He built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. I want you to underline the word Lord, and I also want to highlight that the word Lord there is the word Jehovah in the original language. It's not Adonai or some other words. It's a very, very specific, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Verse 6, it says, so the next day they rose up and burnt Uh, and and offered burnt offerings, brought peace offerings. And then you really want to underline, and the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. They rose up to play. So God's people, Moses is on the mountain. They think they need something that they can look at, something tangible. And so something that would represent God. So they make a cow. They make a cow. Now, why did they make a cow? In those days, and, and certainly and it's, it's for, for thousands of years, when, when people would make idols, what they would do is they, they would take the attributes that they think represented their God, and then they would fashion that into something that they could see. So uh, you'd take the attributes that you wanted, decide on that, and then create the God that you would follow, and th- those attributes would then represent your, your God. So they wanted a God that would be strong but gentle, kind of meek, you know, strong but gentle. And, and God is certainly strong, but he, he's also gentle. They wanted something that would provide nourishment every single day, which was what God was doing, isn't it? He was providing manna every single day. So it would be something that would provide nourishment every single day. So they thought that as they made this cow, it would best represent the God that they worshipped. And so they gave their attention now to this idol, to this statue. The problem is that that, that wasn't, wasn't God. And, and so it says, and I had you underline it, it says, this is uh, your God, the Lord, and, and the word there is Jehovah. Now, why is that important? It's important because they recognized that this idol that they had made was not really God, but it represented God, and it represented the attributes of God that, 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 they, that they wanted. So they called it Jehovah, and, but they recognized that God is above that, but, but uh, this represented those attributes. I'm going somewhere with this, by the way. Now, here's the problem. If I look and I choose the attributes that I want of God, and I, and I look at, and I make a cow, and it's strong, but it's meek, and it, it's providing every single day, uh, if I do that, then I really don't think of a cow as something that brings judgment or discipline into my life if I go contrary to its ways. Does that make sense? Which is why when the people chose the attributes they wanted um, and you try to represent God that way, 
one of the things that you find about God is he's represented a number of ways. Uh, yes, he can be strong, he can be meek, and he can provide daily. But you know, in the Bible, he's also represented as a lion, isn't he? And the reason that he's represented as a lion is because there comes a day where there's judgment, and there comes a day when there's certainly discipline in our lives. So apparently, um, apparently the cow was okay with immorality because it concludes that by saying the people burnt offerings, peace offerings, burnt offerings. They sat down, they ate, and then it says they rose up to play. If you look at that word in the original language and you look at that word in any commentary, one of the things that will tell you is that word play refers to what you and I would say sex play. The idea is that God's people created the image of the God, the characteristics that they wanted, and uh, those characteristics, they said, represent our God. This God would be okay with it. The next thing that they did literally is they, they got drunk, they got naked, and they had an orgy. Now, there, there's a problem with that God. That might be the God that we create. That's just not the God of the Bible. Does that make sense? So, so apparently, the Israelites and the Corinthians were creating their own concept of God. Now, the problem with that, and, and choosing the attributes of God that they wanted, the problem with that is it's just not the God of the Bible. It gets so bad for the Corinthian church that by the time Paul writes Second Corinthians, Paul's going to say this there in your outline. Paul's going to say, I- I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. And he says, so here's what's going on. If one comes and preaches, and I want you to underline another Jesus whom we've not preached, or you receive a different, underline that, spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, underline different, which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. The idea is that that it's not a problem for you. They, They keep coming in. It's a different Jesus. It's a different gospel. And, and they had drifted so far away, first of all, the manna, to where now somebody comes with a different gospel, a different Jesus, a different spirit. They have no way of recognizing it. They have absolutely no idea if that's the real Jesus or another Jesus. So they could no longer tell the difference. And Paul would say, so the Jesus that you're following now isn't the Jesus of the Bible anymore. It's, it's, it's a very, very different Jesus. It's a very, very different God. So their concept um, was a creation of something they created more than a, a concept of how God's revealed himself. So there's a number of places where the Corinthians are corrected because they have now this strong misperception as to who God is. And apparently God is okay with all different types of things. Um, I'm going to give a couple of ways. But, by the way, did that make sense? So they're creating their own concept of God and saying that's God. The problem is that's not God. I'm going to give a couple of ways that we in our society have created our own concept of God. And then I'm going to close in prayer and I'm going to run off the stage because I'm probably going to make some people mad. And I'm a coward. So, so here, here's some of the ways that we create our own concept of God. The problem is it's just not, it's a cow. It's just not the God of the Bible. And I, and I hear this from time to time. One, one conversation is very distinct in my mind. Somebody comes to me and they say, you know, I, I believe that, I know what the Bible says, but I, 
I believe that God wants me to do it because I really believe that, you know, God's greatest desire for me is my happiness. And God wants me to be happy. And so if this is something that makes me happy, then certainly this is something that God would want me to do. You ever heard anything like that? Do you know why that's a lie? Here's why it's a lie. You ready for this? If God's greatest goal for you was that you would be completely happy, he would have made you better looking. here's what they do. They create a cow. They choose the attributes that they want. The attribute that they want is happiness. And they leave out all the others. And they say, this is my God. Well, that's fine, but that's not the God of the Bible. Um, Another concept. Last summer, we all saw that the the Supreme Court in our country made a ruling about what was appropriate for marriage. And uh, there are churches who are celebrating this. There are people who are celebrating this. And uh, here's what I can tell you, that that is a cow that somebody has chosen the attributes that they like. They've left off some other attributes because as you go to your Bible, you don't get that God from your Bible. Does that make sense? So you you want to make sure that you're not following a cow. You're following the God of the Bible who reveals himself this way. And so we see that. All right, if you're here today and you're single and you're sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, the Bible says that that is immoral. The Bible says, let the marriage bed be undefiled. God takes the sexual relationship very, very seriously. It's actually the next point. We're not going to get to it today, but he takes it very, very seriously. If you're doing that and you think, well, you know, God's okay with it. That was, you know, 1500 BC. The Corinthians are 60 AD. You're like 2016 AD. You know, things are different now. Here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to know. The God that you're following right now is a cow that you've created. You've chosen the attributes that you like. The only problem with that is that's not the God of the Bible. Does that make sense? You want to make sure that you're not worshiping the cow because that brought a plague into the people's lives, that you're worshiping the God of the Bible. Don't pick and choose. You let him determine this is who I am. All right. Um, uh, Two more. Um, I'm a veteran. I love this country. I have four honorable discharges. I was a paratrooper in the military. I have an honorable discharge from the Army. I have two honorable discharges from the Reserves and I have uh, an honorable discharge from the National Guard. Three of those are special forces units. I'm in, okay? I love this country, and I'm ready to go. So anyways, I, and I loved being a paratrooper, and I loved all of that. So I go to these memorial services where we honor our vets and those who have fallen. And what we've done is we've created in our country where if you're an American and you give your life for your country, you're immediately ushered into heaven. I wish that was true. I wish that was true. But that's a lie. That is, as Paul would say, a different gospel. I think one of the greatest tragedies that we're going to find is there's some really good people who did some very honorable things, but they never received Jesus. They, they excluded that. And that's a different gospel. And yet, as I I go to memorial services, I see more and more people worshiping a cow. It's just not the God of the Bible. Does that make sense? Last one, and we can go on all day. In 2016, those who are now studying religious trends 
uh, are saying that 2016 is going to be marked as a year where there's going to be a major push in our country by religious leaders to teach us, to tell us that the God of Islam and the God of the Bible are really the same God. Now, there is one religious leader who would remain unnamed, remain unnamed, who happens to come from Italy in a certain city over there, who has tragically recently come out very clearly and said, you know, the God of the Muslim and the God of the Bible, they're all the same. That's a lie. And anybody who believes, anybody who teaches that, my friends, is a false teacher, a false prophet, and a false apostle. And they will come to you as ravenous wolves wrapped up in sheep's clothing. That is not the God of the Bible who says, I am God and I know of no other. And I'm the Lord who does not change. As we wrap up today, we're out of time. So we only got, we we have a lot more to talk about. We're going to stop right there. When we walk away from the word, we walk away from the manna, which we see happening all across America, the next thing that happens in Paul's construct is that we begin to create our own God, our own cow. The problem with that cow is it's not the God of the Bible. And that cow, as we read the story, and you can read it later, will only bring a plague into your life. Doesn't mean you're not saved. They were still saved. God still provided manna. But it kept them from entering into everything that God had for them. Does that make sense? Let's go ahead and close in prayer. We're way out of time. But evaluate and make sure that you're worshiping God, not a cow. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this congregation, their faithfulness to you and their faithfulness, their hunger for your word. Lord, I pray that this message causes us all to evaluate and make sure that we're not worshiping a cow that we've created, uh, a cow the way that we want it to be, but, but we're worshiping you, the God of the Bible, the creator of the universe, the only savior, the only true path. And that as we worship you, you would lead us by your spirit and your word into all truth. And that as you do that, we'd become everything that you want us to be, that you would take us into everything that you have for us. I pray, God, that you keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hey, if you're not sure where you are in your relationship with the Lord, you don't know that you're worshiping a cow or the God of the Bible. Right now, uh, there's going to be some prayer partners standing in the front. Don't leave here today without settling that, that you know that you know that you know that you really are worshiping the God of the Bible and not a God that you've created because you like certain characteristics or attributes. Settle that today. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.